0: So we come to the end to a certain extent of, of a study and to, to a certain extent it parallels what I'm talking about. The people in Jerusalem at the rebuilding of that first temple and the rebuilding of the wall had come to the end of themselves. Do you remember last week we saw that that um, they came together when the wall was completed the immediate vision was fulfilled, but the real vision was just beginning, and that was to reform the people of God. In 140 years, they had scattered to the four winds, both physically, but, but also emotionally and, and spiritually. And now God is bringing them back together to be with him and... and uh, And for the first time in 140 years, they're becoming a community again. You remember that Jesus said two really important things. One is that um, people will know that that Jesus came from God by our unity, by our co-unity, by our community, by the unity they see, not just uh, in our homes, but also in our church body and in the body of Christ in general. And then he says also, and they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So God is celebrations, one a community. He's forming a community. And at the very end of this time, they put on three celebrations, one right after another. The Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the month. The Day of Atonement on the, on the ninth day of the month. I might have that wrong. Ninth day. Of the month, and our passage today is what's happening on the twenty-fourth day of the month, and Nehemiah enters into one of the great prayers of the Bible. At nine o'clock today, we were talking about. If 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 you just take a quick look, you see some of the greatest prayers all happen in the ninth chapter of something, Uh, in Ezra chapter nine. Uh, is one of the great prayers of repentance in all of Scripture. In Daniel chapter nine is this amazing transformative prayer. I feel like a spiritual pygmy when I when I read it because I realize how how um, simple my prayers are. But Daniel and Ezra, with their eyes fixed on God, um, have their prayer life transformed. And today our passage. Uh, Jason read came from Nehem the people of God. Another chapter nine, where Nehemiah is is reforming the people of God and calling out to God. Let me just say, I'm going to summarize it, but we're not going to be able to do that, and you're going to have a heart attack. If you saw my notes, you'd have a heart attack anyway. But let me just summarize Nehemiah chapter nine for a second and say that that um, the first portion of it, Nehemiah one through verse six, uh, is talks about. The, the greatness of God. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, it talks about the greatness of God. Do we have those notes? Are we going to be able to pull those? Um, but, but beginning in verse 7, then he talks about the goodness of God. And then, and then it, all of this in the form of a, this amazing prayer. And then, and then following his talk about the goodness of God, he, he talks about the graciousness of God. And you want to see a prayer that is worthy of building your life upon? This is one of them. So I want to invite you just for a portion of this. And then we're just going to look at three minutes today. We're going to we're going to look at the first part of his prayer in chapter nine, and then we're just going to look at three really practical applications in chapter ten for a second. Let's look first to the greatness of God. Nehemiah says that the greatness of God is seen in the fact that, did you hear that? He is God alone. You are God alone. Whenever God wanted to encourage his people, he would point to the creation around them. He would remind them that he made it all. He is our creator. Uh, Isaiah 40, twice he says, have you not seen, do you not know? The Lord your God is an everlasting God. God created the world. Do you remember when Job was wrestling with, with what, his righteousness before God and and for what? 37 chapters he wrestles defending himself before God and then God speaks. And and Jonah, uh, Job says, I think I'll be quiet now, you know. This week he says, "Where were you when I was creating?" This world that you're enjoying. Here's the here's the trick. Um, though God made the world, we have this propensity to worship what He made rather than the Maker. Does that make sense? What sets apart the community of God is that we understand this. What sets us apart from our non-believing neighbors is the fact that we recognize. That there's a danger in idolatry and we refuse to do it. We refuse to do it. We recognize that he is God alone. Now, if you're not comfortable with that word idolatry, many of us have talked about it now for several years. Idolatry simply means worshiping and serving the creature and the creation rather than the creator. Does that make sense? And it, it takes on very sophisticated forms. I mean, you don't see anybody in our neighborhoods bowing down to some stone idol, time to all the time to glass and microchip idols, don't we? We bow down all the time to uh, wealth and power. We bow down all the time to idols in our culture. And Nehemiah is saying, let's remind ourselves: there is one God worthy of worship. He is God alone. He created the universe. He continues in in nine six. But He not only created it, He also sustains it moment by moment. He did not simply make it and then abandon it to its own course. Now bring this home, beloved. He didn't make you and then abandon you to your own course and say, I hope it works out. He sustains you moment by moment and day by day. He's daily involved in the affairs of His creation. Do you believe that? Oh, examples all throughout Scripture. Matthew 10:29, He sees when a sparrow falls. Now what's the impact of that? They did not value sparrows. They didn't use them for offerings. They were not a valuable as. and there were so many of them around, and Jesus says, "Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father." the same line psalm 147 says he hears when a raven cries for food he gives the beasts their food psalm 147:9 says and the young ravens that cry when a bird cries out to god god responds how much more how much more someone who's created in his image again in psalm 147 verse 4 he has counted and named all the stars uh, clearly, the psalmist didn't realize there were billions of stars, right? Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, they did. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. How much more? He has even created in his image. Now, getting a little too personal for me, he has even numbered the hairs on your head. For some of us, that's not as great a challenge, but for many of you, it is. Even Matthew 10:30, the hairs on your head are numbered. We could go on and on all day, but I think Psalm 145 says it best. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Isn't that beautiful? God created the world and is still involved in satisfying the desires of every living thing. I think that's why Psalm 37.4 is so powerful to so many of us. Delight yourself in the Lord, right? And he'll give you the desires of your heart. God's greatness is seen in the fact that he is the creator, but he also sustains that creation. But did you hear? I loved it when Jason read it. We heard it earlier in our call to worship. Everything in heaven, all the other. Cre- now, you hosts of heaven worship him. Now, you and I probably can't duplicate some of the mighty works of the angels, but we can, we can see their devotion. We can imitate their devotion as they worship before His throne. But here's the crazy thing. Angels are not created in God's image either. We have so much more cause to praise God than even the angels. We've been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. We shall one day be like our Lord and Savior. We're not not just servants or messengers like angels. We are children of God. And we'll dwell with Him forever. Did you see that verse? Uh, I think Jessica read it for us. See what kind of love the Father has given us. The Father. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why... And what was is because it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Look at this last line. Is it there? Yeah. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he, Christ, is pure. Wow, the hosts of heaven worship Him. How much more those of us who have been created in His image. How much more those of us who have been redeemed by His blood. How much more those of us who are going to stand one day. And, and this is the thing that resets all my, all my perspective when I encounter struggles or when I speak with people who are in deep, in deep distress of soul. That one day we will... Be like Him. We have a future. We don't have to worry about the present because God stopped today in the middle of, and He's taking us to His future. That's why we wanted to just stop today in the middle of our worship service and just thank Him and praise Him and worship Him. And here's a kicker. and <laughs> What difference would that make that I would worship God. You know the song, Who Am I? Right? The Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would look on me with love. What difference would it make that I would worship Him? But here's the deal. that Nehemiah's prayer, the Word of God, says clearly that God receives our worship. It's one thing to worship someone and they, whether they receive it or not. It's another thing that they would receive that offering of worship. That means something, beloved. That means that God is is honoring even your simple cry of thanks, your word of praise. As we wrap up Nehemiah, he's honoring your worship. I think it's important as we wrap up Nehemiah to go back and look and say, what is this worship? Because it's not just... um, Reading the Word is not just one thing or another. It incorporates all of these things. And Nehemiah kind of stacks them up right there in Nehemiah 1 through 5. Let me just summarize them real quick. worship True worship involves hearing the Word. And that's interesting. Um, we've talked before about how important it is to read the Word. That's critical. You're listening for God's voice. You're, you're listening as as you open the word, but there's some dynamic that happens with the Holy Spirit when you hear it. That's why it's so important to be in a community, whether it be a triad or a small group or, or worship together where you're hearing the word of God. Because as the word of God is spoken, then the Holy Spirit takes it and translates it into your exact situation. And again, this weekend has been such a reminder I've had a chance to teach three or four times, so it touched me. Weekend, and people will come up to, and, and they will say, you know, when you said this, it just absolutely touched me. And I'll, I'll go, thank you, Holy Spirit, because I didn't say that. I wish I had, but I didn't, I didn't say that. God just took the word and translated it to their need and it spoke to their life. Hearing the word is so critically important. As we began in our study of Nehemiah, it's critically Important not just to hear it, but let it affect it. To let your hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God. That's what started this whole regathering of the people of God. Nehemiah heard that the city of Jerusalem was in distress. His heart was broken by that. And and God began to use this one person to bring about the regathering of the people of God who had not existed for 140 years in Jerusalem. Let your heart be broken. It may seem so small. It may seem so small. I think of, of Kate who went to Africa and just said, I'm going to adopt a kid. Where she, that small act of kindness turned into an amazing ministry where she shepherded and transformed the lives of generations of young children. Let your hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God. You don't know, you won't know where it will take you. But that will be okay because he will be with you when you go there. And Nehemiah reminds us how important it is to communicate with God, to talk to him, to have two-way conversation, to pray and speak to him, not just about your needs, but also about his global purposes. And again, Ephesians 1 and 3, throughout the Bible, Nehemiah 9, uh, Ezra 9, Daniel 9, there's these amazing prayers uh, where, where people's lives are transformed, even as they speak to God. When you encounter His holiness, it's always going to bring out your unholiness. Um, God's Holy Spirit will prompt you of things of your life that aren't oriented or surrendered to Him. And we've seen this right here in Nehemiah chapter 9. Worship in weeks past our sins. What struck me about this passage was we just, we're just two weeks past the Day of Atonement. They were not required to come confess their sins. But something happened on the Day of Atonement. The freedom that came on the Day of Atonement uh, uh, caused them then, two weeks later, having uh, accumulated some more brokenness, having, having um, uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then they felt this need to come back and do it again, just two weeks later. And on the weekend, of course, we... We uh, do the John Eight experience, experience where um, the woman caught in the ad- act of adultery is 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 brought before Jesus, and and the Pharisees challenged Jesus: should should we stone her or not? And and you remember all those people are standing there with the stones. And we had a chance, we had a chance to gather around and um, had a volunteer. I think I mean, some of you have done that before. And 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 as we were talking there, there were two volunteer ones ready ready to stone our volunteer. Um, well, let's do that. Would you volunteer, Mary? Would that be okay? <laughs> no, not. And the thought did occur to me. Oh, I hope they realize this is a teaching moment. Um, but what happened was over time, the weight of that rock became oppressive. It was a little rock. The weight of that rock became oppressive. And, and their arms started to sag. I said, no, no, we're going to stone her, so keep those arms up. And they, they would sag, keep them up, keep them up. And they realized for the first time how the weight of their own judgment and their own brokenness and their own sin was a burden. They never realized they were caring. And so even now, in the little, in the little chapel at Sarto, um, there's a communion table, and at the foot of the communion table is a pile of rocks. Because finally God gave them the freedom to let go of their brokenness. One of the interesting things for me in this passage is they didn't have to do it here. It wasn't required by the festival. They try faith back. And whenever you see sin or failure in your life, immediately look by faith back to Jesus. Seek His forgiveness. And here's the deal. Keep on looking at Him. Keep on looking at Him. Our... our Incredible temptation is to focus on ourselves rather than on him. And the gift of Nehemiah is that is this truth that the more we look at ourselves, the more discouraged we will become. But when we focus on his perfection, our own imperfections begin to blur. When we focus on our imperfections, his perfection tends to blur. Focus on him. Your perfect Savior, not your imperfections, and one day you will hear Him say to you, "Be glorified." Those imperfections will never again cause you to stumble. Themselves, interesting. Um, in Nehemiah chapter nine, in his prayer, they intentionally separated themselves from what they discovered displeased God, and and um, I. I'm just reminded that oftentimes in our repentance that we don't renounce. Um, does that make sense? That oftentimes we come to God. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm. Oh, it happens to me all the time. And big scale things. I'll come back to God maybe two years after maybe gaining a victory over, over some brokenness in my life. And I'll succumb to it again. And, and it'll kill me. And I'll say, God, we were here two years ago. And you were so gracious to me. What am I doing here again? And I think, and I, I can do it on a big scale like that, and I can do it on a moment-by-moment scale. I can say, that was stupid, what you just said to her. And then two minutes later, I can say something stupid again. And I think the problem is that when I recognize my sin, I repent, but I don't renounce it. I don't gather brothers around me, and own it, identify it, and ask them to help me to point out to me when my life is not reflecting my words. And so, um, so Nehemiah brings home the point that we have to not just confess our sins, but we have to separate ourselves from that which displeases God. I want to be real careful here because what, um, what their sin that he's talking about there is the sin of intermarriage, not racial intermarriage, Though many did interracially married, but religious intermarriage, okay, and um, and here's I'm going to tell you the drama first, and then we're going to go back and try and pick it up. The drama was that the people of God had intermarried with all the surrounding cultures. They'd given their sons and daughters to the surrounding cultures, and the sons and the surrounding cultures had given their sons and daughters to them. Well, what happens when you do that? That oftentimes the the um, the idols of those surrounding cultures come into the people of God. And, that's a, and God is, somebody said it earlier, a um, very jealous God. And that's a good thing. But he cannot bear to have you say that you follow him and worship something else. And so, in Ezra's case, um, Ezra forced them to separate. In Nehemiah's case, he did it twice. They did it voluntarily here. And then they fell back into it. Nehemiah came back a few years later and tore their hair out if they sinned. Um, I'm going to talk at our next session meeting about whether we should include that as a strategy for a biblical discipline. Um, but I don't think we'll go there. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I don't know what you did. but uh, <laughs> the, um, Here's the deal. I want you to understand the import and, and the importance of of this issue. Uh, It is very difficult, you know, um, to live in a divided household. Corinthians is very clear, but Jesus Christ changes everything. Corinthians is very clear. I'm going to speak to, some of you are still thinking about future life partners and and that kind of thing. Guys, very clear, don't be unequally yoked. Don't attach yourself to something which does not honor God. Uh, Um, Uh, it, It is a rough road. It is a hard road. But if you find yourself in that place, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ changes anything because you have Christ in you, because you've been sanctified. Even if you have an unbelieving spouse or unbelieving children, those spouses and children can be sanctified by you. There's some benefit to them to staying in this thing. So don't you leave them uh, because they don't have the same faith as you, or because they're not at the same level of your faith. Instead, pray for them. Instead, be such a living gospel to them that they are drawn. They're drawn to the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ instead. That the only thing you, if they choose to walk away, um, that's, you can't control that. The only thing you can control is you. But God says that you sanctify that unbelieving spouse. Now, here's the deal. Um, a lot of us, our uh, covenants are not necessarily with, um, we're not talking about marriage. We're talking about uh, a commitment to something else that dishonors God, um, to a secret life that maybe we're not proud of. Um, God's word applies here too. renounce it, repent of it, renounce it and let the grace of God flow into your life so that so that your words would not be affected that, so that you could cry out to God and he would hear um separating ourselves from that which displeases God is really important on the same side and he ends this portion well now we're into 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 a Nehemiah 10 do you still have Nehemiah open um, if you have people genuine I'm just going to highlight a couple of things because it's amazing as The people genuinely repented as they genuinely... Turn back to God. Now, we just focused on the greatness of God, but as they also looked at the goodness of God, as they recounted His faithfulness through all their brokenness and sin, as they, they saw the graciousness of God. In your great mercy, verse 31 of Nehemiah chapter 9, you did not make an end to them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. As they encountered a great God and a good God and a gracious God, then they also recognized that there were things that they not only needed to leave behind. There's things that they not only needed to separate themselves from, but there was things they needed to covenant with each other to do. And this is astounding. And you're going to be tempted to think about all kinds of excuses why we don't need to apply this to our lives today. And I just say, I have to say to you and to myself, um, I don't see it in God's Word. There is a beauty in saying, not only will I renounce this, but I will take up this. And you know what they took up? Look in look in, in Nehemiah chapter ten. They said in in, um, in verse twenty nine, an oath they took to walk in God's law, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, his rules and his statutes. When you hear law, we hear word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they took an oath to walk in the path of God's word. They took an oath to not be unequally yoked, either in marriage or in business or in pleasure. To yoke yourself, to do something in your, in your amusement that is not honoring to God. They took an oath to not do that. We will not be unequally yoked. They took an oath To keep the Sabbath. Well, that was then, right? So many people think that because Jesus said uh, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, that he did not. He honored it every day of his life. He just didn't honor the rules of men that were placed around the Sabbath. But God, in his very creation, set apart one-seventh of your life be holy and fully devoted. I'm saying this and I'm convicting myself as I speak. Because there's lots of things I like to do on the Lord's Day. There's lots of things I like to do. And, and when I'm doing them, I'm amusing myself. Unless I'm a Mr. Colts fan and it's not amusing at all. I'm, I'm amusing myself but I'm not focusing on Him. And, and I just want you to know... That it's important to God. And I respect so much some of the some of the stuff of our culture and some of the uh, individuals who are making amazing commitments in the midst of our culture to set apart a day. I know some of you are nurses. Some of you are, are in professions where you can't do that. Out of mercy you need to be doing your work. But that's not most of us. Most of us choose not to honor the Sabbath. And and the people of God in Jerusalem, in Nehemiah's time, made a commitment, not just to walk in God's law, not just to be, not be unequally yoked, but to keep the Sabbath as well. And then again, you can see in, in uh, the whole balance of the back of the half, beginning in verse 35 all the way to the end of the chapter, we make a commitment to honor God with our resources, with the first fruits, the very best of our time and our treasure and our talents. And, and also to tithe, to give. Tithe literally means a tenth. To give one-tenth to God. No strings attached. Or it's different than sacrificial giving because when we give sacrificially, we're oftentimes giving to our, the passions of our heart. But the people of God recognize that, that they've stopped doing something that was fundamental to the identity of the people of God. The amazing thing about the Word of God is that as we begin to orient ourselves to the Word of God, the Word of God begins to orient us to Him. And and I cannot explain it. But just the simple discipline of saying, I will spend time in your Word, God, starts to orient my life. Now all of a sudden, I'm not giving God the leftover time to His Word, but... But prioritizing, saying that's the most important thing. When we begin to orient our finances, the first fruits and the tithe toward God, it, it, it's weird, it's hard at first, but it begins to orient our life. And we discover that we cannot outgive God each of these simple acts of obedience. First time in 140 years, toward Him and orients us toward Him. So for the first time in 140 years, the people of God became the people of God again. They covenanted together to to rejoice in all that God had done, but to dream big about what he could do with them in the future. Come on up, worship team, would you? I think that's what I love about um, Thanksgiving is it's that time when you can look back and see all that God has done. Let's be honest, a lot of the times when it was happening, we couldn't see God's hand in it. Amen? When it was happening, uh, we didn't realize what He was doing. It took the perspective of maybe that mountaintop experience to get up there high enough to look back and say, oh, wow, now I can see how that painful experience, how that trial, how that joyful moment fit into the fabric of the tapestry of my life. I can see now, forward. And I think I like Thanksgiving also because it's a time to look forward and to dream about what can be if we'll orient our lives around Jesus Christ and His Word. What can be if we'll draw together with other people and, and unite to encourage one another, to keep to His Word. What can be if we'll look beyond the walls of this church and join with the people of God throughout this city, throughout this nation, throughout this world, who are impacting the world for the kingdom of God, it's a time to look both backwards and forwards. And I just want to invite you, um, God bless you this coming week. If you, if you were alone um, this, this coming Thanksgiving, you call us. Because if we find out that you were alone and you didn't call, we're going to come break your neck, okay? Figure of speech. Um, even if your family is not here. Your family is here. But let's look back and we will make room for you at the table. But let's look back and rejoice and let's look forward and covenant together to be the people of God.